It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From Fox News, it's The Campaign with Brett Baer. President Trump signed an executive order and three memorandum that address the need for unemployment benefits, eviction moratoriums, delaying student loan payments, and a temporary delay in payroll tax liability came under a lot of criticism, both from the left and some on the right. This after negotiations fell flat in Congress last week over a new coronavirus stimulus bill. There's speculation, obviously, a lot of it, that these actions may face legal challenges in the courts, all happening as we are less than a week away from the Democratic Convention. Our socially distant panel anxiously awaiting to discuss all of that, plus Joe Biden's vice presidential nominee pick finally made. But first, Fox News correspondent Peter Ducey has been following all of this on the campaign trail. The challenges of vetting and then rolling out a running mate during a global pandemic are on display in a new photo that shows Joe Biden and Kamala Harris speaking to each other earlier today on a Zoom call. They have not yet served together, but Biden says he's felt connected to her for a long time through his late son with this, quote, I first met Kamala through my son, Beau. They were both attorneys general at the same time. He had enormous respect for her and her work. I thought a lot about that as I made this decision. There is no one's opinion I valued more than Bo's, and I'm proud to have Kamala standing with me on this campaign. The Trump campaign, meanwhile, is pushing back with this. Not long ago, Kamala Harris called Joe Biden a racist and asked for an apology she never received. Clearly, phony Kamala will abandon her own morals as well as try to bury her record as a prosecutor in order to appease the anti-police extremists controlling the Democrat Party. The 55-year-old Harris is the only black woman and the only South Asian American woman to be on a major party's ticket and is set to debate Mike Pence this fall. She has been out of the race since December when she dropped out. And when Harris was still a Biden rival, her campaign launch in Oakland drew one of the largest crowds of anybody in the field all year, by far larger than anything Biden himself drew at any point pre-COVID-19 lockdown. And out of the two dozen Democrats who debated this cycle, she created the most viral moment surprising Biden with a challenge to his record on busing. But months later, she was telling reporters to leave Joe alone. And this day, her adding, uh, her becoming Joe Biden's running mate might come as a surprise to voters who attended Harris events. Because in 2019, when she was asked about a report that someday maybe she'd be Biden's running mate, she tried to turn the tables. I think that Joe Biden would be a great running mate. As vice president, he's proven that he knows how to do the job. But it's not Harris-Biden, it's Biden-Harris, and the ticket is going to make their first appearance together here in Wilmington tomorrow. Peter, thanks. Former Vice President Biden has announced his running mate will be Senator Kamala Harris of California. There was speculation that Senator Harris was the favored candidate for VP nominee after months of vetting. On Tuesday, the Biden campaign announced that Harris would be the VP nominee, calling her, quote, a fearless fighter for the little guy and one of the country's finest public servants. On top of this news, the Democratic National Committee has revealed a list of speakers who will participate in the convention programming, including in addition to Harris, obviously, Bill and Hillary Clinton, Barack and Michelle Obama, as well as many of the former vice president's 2020 Democratic presidential primary opponents. On Monday, President Trump announced he has narrowed the location for his nomination acceptance to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, or the White House. 
These conventions, of course, will take on a new look, the backdrop of the coronavirus pandemic in the United States, with the virus creating contentious debate across the nation about what's best for the economy and for students this fall. Not only students, but college football is up in the air. We'll start there with our panel, Josh Kraschauer. He's political editor for National Journal, USA Today, Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page, and Democratic strategist and syndicated talk radio host Leslie Marshall. Okay, Senator Kamala Harris, the choice is made. Susan, thoughts? Not a surprise. She was the most likely pick from the start. Uh, There was a process that Biden people did a good job, I think, of keeping a lid on leaks about the process. But we end up where we thought we began with a candidate who is a female, who is African-American, who is also the first Asian-American to be on a national ticket, um, the daughter of immigrants, and someone with uh, history as a prosecutor. Uh, So this is the candidate most vetted among the ones that we're seeing as the most serious contenders. And in many ways, the safest choice I think Biden could have made. Yeah. Uh, Josh, not seen as the best campaigner, obviously out early in the presidential race. Uh, But to Susan's point, vetted, uh, knows the campaign deal, even in a a strange coronavirus uh, setting. Uh, The biggest question was whether Joe Biden could get over some of the tension at the beginning of the primary at that debate stage. Yeah, and I think most politicians are able to overcome any any campaign campaign. attacks. Uh, We've seen this with Reagan and Bush and Kennedy and Johnson. There's a long history of of primary rivals uniting uh, on a ticket for the presidency. Uh, You know, I think the bigger issue here is that Harris was one of the few contenders who was ready to become president, not just because she ran for the, the presidency this year, but because she served as senator and state attorney general. She had the executive and, and political experience that you normally would would have for, for such a high profile position. A lot of the, the other candidates, whether you're talking about Karen Bass or Val Demings or a first term governor like Gretchen Whitmer, just didn't have the, the type of resume that you would consider to be ready for prime time, ready for the presidency. And I think ultimately Harris was one of the few people, maybe Susan Rice was the other other contender on the short list that had that high level government experience that usually is suited for that vice presidential role. You know, Leslie, I want to get your thoughts overall on the race, but also, I mean, on, on this pick, but also, you know, one of the vulnerabilities on the progressive side of the Democratic Party for Joe Biden in the primary was his support and push for the 1994 crime bill. Uh, Kamala Harris has a history as California AG and, and also as a prosecutor at the San Francisco District Attorney's Office and the district attorney, eventually the top job there, that comes under criticism from the left of the left. Uh, does that provide any problems? It might. I, I mean, you know, that that that's true. I mean, I wrote about that in my, in my piece today, the good, the bad and the ugly of this. And that's part of the bad, um, not with this pick, but uh, for Kamala Harris. And, and the reason is, Brett, if you look at as attorney general, things that she did with regard to, uh, you know, police uh, brutality, uh, capital punishment. Uh, imprisonments uh, of individuals that, you know, were later found out uh, to be innocent. She actually has been on both sides. And so it gets confusing, but she is not viewed, even though she touts herself as progressive by the progressive faction of my party, the Democratic Party, as being progressive enough. And and that could be an issue. But I do want to say, Brett, I hope I get something for this, because with candidate Casino on a special report, 
you know, every time I was putting my bet down, I gave her the most. And the reason is because she does hit the ground running. She is the best pick. She does tick all the boxes. And if, which he might be a one-term president, Joe Biden, she could actually run for president. She is ready. I might give you the green visor, you know, for the dealer <laughs> and, and see if that works. Uh, Susan, there are, you know, potential pitfalls uh, for Kamala Harris, and she saw some of that in the presidential run. In other words, um, one of the things the Trump campaign is already hitting her on is is that she's not authentic. That they, they call her phony. But Democratic voters, if you polled them, um, not they didn't use that word, but they said she couldn't figure out whether she was the progressive lane or the moderate lane, and that, in an essence, she couldn't make the elevator pitch of what her campaign was. Yeah, you know, I th- I, th- I think that's right. She wasn't the very best campaigner. She she had a great first debate. It ended up costing her because what made her so effective was her attack on Joe Biden, with whom she's now made uh, amends. But you know, in a in a way, I think her weakness is her strength in the role of vice president. The fact that she's not the most liberal candidate, the most progressive candidate she could have picked, that makes it more difficult, I think, for. President Trump and the Republicans to paint this as a far left ticket that's taking the the country to to socialism. And the fact that she has been not so clearly defined as a candidate may make it easier for her to take on the coloration of whatever she needs to take on to be Biden's vice president. Being the vice presidential candidate, it is different from being the presidential candidate. You are the second fiddle um, and the things that she's going to be able to bring to this ticket, I think, are um, some energy, a new generation. Uh, and I think the fact that she's African-American is going to help energize African-American voters, even those who are more liberal than she is. Yeah, Josh, and, and she definitively brings sort of that attack dog mentality that we've seen for some VP choices. Um, I assume the Biden campaign saw her performance in some of these hearings where Trump administration officials have been before the Senate committee she sits on and the grilling that she's given them. Yeah, she's a prosecutor, and that's a good skill set to have as a running mate who's going to be spending a lot of time attacking the Trump Pence uh, ticket. And, and, and her biggest weakness in the presidential campaign, as, as Susan was alluding to, was the fact that she didn't know where she stood on a whole host of positions, most notably on, on health care and Medicare for all. Well, sh- she's on team Biden. She's taking the Biden position. I mean, you don't unless she'll cause all the Biden Biden folks a lot of heartburn if she starts freelancing on, on the campaign trail. She's going to be agreeing with what Biden says and where Biden stands on, on every issue. Now, that, that could pose some problems down the road. She, she is one of the few candidates that certainly has a political base of her own and may, you know, probably is going to be the front runner in four years to, to run for president. And if there's a tough political decision in the White House, if Biden is elected, you know, he's going to need her to be on the team and not looking at her own political uh, interests for four years down the road. So that's the one you heard this a lot about ambition and that became seen as sort of a, a sexist or gendered term. But the reality is there were a lot of presidential nominees, you know, Bush picked Dick Cheney because he didn't have his own political ambitions. Joe Biden was picked by Obama because he wasn't seen as someone who was going to run for president again. So that was the one challenge down, and we may see this come up down the road if Biden is elected. Josh, can I just add one thing? That is a problem Joe Biden would love to have. He's elected president, and his big problem is the ambitions of his vice president. You know, that is what Bill Clinton would call a high-class problem. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, there's obviously there are going to be efforts to dig up all the things that 
Kamala Harris said on the trail about Joe Biden and and that debate obviously will factor in heavily. There are other moments, though, Leslie, for example, after the Tara Reid stuff and other women coming out saying they felt uncomfortable after receiving what they said was unwanted touching from the former vice president. She said, I believe them and I respect them being able to tell their story and having the courage to do it. She went on to say that Joe Biden would have to decide for himself whether to continue running for president. He's going to have to make that decision for himself. I wouldn't tell him what to do. So, I mean, you know, there are I think there are things actually, that are going to come up. I think it was a very political, it's going to come up. Everything that she has said against Joe Biden is going to come up on a reel over and over and over, Um, as it should by an opponent. That's what I would advise the opponents to do. Sure. But look, she was being honest. She was being pro-woman and a feminist. Um, But she she was also being very fair, which is, I, you know, I can't make decisions for him and I can't, you know, fight his battles for him. And I won't. Obviously, these things did not affect her so much so that she turned this down when she was offered this um, and she clearly wanted this. Look, she may not have been a good campaigner, but one thing that she did, I thought very well and brilliantly, unlike some others that were so obvious about it, Stacey Abrams was interviewing and practically begging for the job as vice president to Joe Biden on this ticket, right? Kamala Harris wanted to be asked, wanted to be VP on this ticket, but you didn't know it because she did it in a less aggressive way, but did bring a lot of attention and attacks against Trump and in favor of her party and a lot of unity. And and I think she got as much, if not more press than when she was campaigning. So I think she did great post campaigning and that led her uh, and assisted her in becoming VP on this ticket. We'll hear from our panel after this. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Josh, does it change the dynamics of this race now that we have the bumper stickers? We have the Trump-Pence. We have the Biden-Harris. Does it change the polls? Does it change where we are? Well, Susan's right that, you know, this you have to think about 2020 and, and Biden is holding a pretty comfortable, if narrowing lead uh, nationally. Uh, so uh, this is a safe pick. It's not a pick that's going to shake up the race. It's consistent with Biden's M.O. throughout this whole campaign, not do anything too too risky. So I don't think this changes the the, the trajectory of the race a whole lot. I think the, the vice presidential debate in Utah between Mike Pence and Senator Harris is going to be pretty, pretty interesting to watch. Um, but but ultimately, you know, Biden decided not to take a risk on someone with less experience or someone who may have some more you know, progressive credentials. He went with someone who's well known, who's been vetted and, and someone who is probably not going to going to change this, this campaign's dynamic. Yeah. Susan, if you look back, the real clear politics average of polls, August 11th, 2016, Hillary Clinton led Donald Trump by 4.3% in the top six battleground states. This time, right now, Joe Biden leads Trump by 4.3% in the top <laughs> six battleground states. So here we are, 80 so we days are. away. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that remarkable? And isn't that a useful reminder to everyone who assumes this race is over? Uh, because the race is not over. And if there's any lesson we should have learned four years ago, it's that the race isn't over till it's over and do not make assumptions that you know what's going to happen. On the other hand, at this moment, you would much rather be in the position that Joe Biden is in, is in than the position Donald Trump is in. 
Right. And that also probably led to this pick. If you look back to picks, Leslie, in the past, where they were surprised and really, really went out of the box, it was usually from a candidate who needed to shake things up. John McCain with Sarah Palin, uh, Walter Mondale with Geraldine Ferraro. You know, I keep hearing that Kamala Harris, Senator Harris, was a, a safe pick. I would argue she was a smart pick, you know, and, and you can be both the smart pick and the safe pick. And, 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 I, and I feel that's what he did here. Look, Joe Biden said, I'm going to select a woman as my vice president. Check. OK. And he's a politician that kept a promise. Amazing. Um, second, um, he, he almost had to, in a sense. And I said this all along. I could not see as a Democrat two white people on that ticket. I just couldn't because it doesn't represent the diversity of not only Democratic Party, but our nation. And then in light of what has transpired since the murder of George Floyd and uh, the, the, the racial injustice and, and what the polls and the people say and the protest and, you know, just people that feel there needs to be reformation. Um, and, and seriously, more people than ever uh, saying, wait a minute, th- this is a problem. This is a systemic problem in our society. Um, I-, I feel that she was, an, again, a very smart pick, not just um, a safe pick. And I honestly have seen today online people that were waiting for her specifically, the K-Hive folks, and then people who just wanted to see who his VP was going to be before writing checks. They're going to, it may be a small bump, but the money's going to come in bigger in the next couple of days as a result. So I do think it makes a bit of a difference. Now, I mean, there were many analysts, Josh, at the beginning, before we started this Democratic primary process, who were going to print the bumper stickers then that it was Biden-Harris. So it has come (laughs) full circle here. Um, For the Trump campaign, they are starting to get kind of their substance. At least some of those ads have changed and kind of focused on on that Joe Biden is a vessel for the left. And, you know, that's kind of their their tack right now. Um, But other things are factoring in and, and cultural issues and obviously the coronavirus and where we are on violence in cities does factor into all of this, especially in in some of those uh, swing districts. Yeah, it's going to be probably one of the more effective issues the Trump campaign can utilize, the, the questions about law and order. Uh, we saw the the, the rioting uh, in, in, in Chicago late Sunday night. I mean, the, if, the, if this continues, it's going to be an issue Trump at least is going to try and use. You know, what's interesting about the Harris pick and how that plays into this, Republicans need to figure out if they want to portray her as, as tough on crime as being a top cop in California as they were baiting her before she was selected as his running mate, or if they want to portray her as soft on crime as a as a San Francisco Democrat, which used to be uh, sort of a, a code for being a left wing Democrat a long time ago. But you're not hearing Republicans saying that in the aftermath of, of Harris being selected. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I think the law and order issue is one that Republicans should utilize, though, you know, they they have been attacking Harris as being too tough on crime when she was prosecuted to try to to stir up some controversy within Democratic circles. So they're going to need to find a consistent message on that issue vis-a-vis Kamala Harris. Yeah, Susan, you mentioned about the the campaign being good about the secret, and, and really it was. They did a really good job to build up the suspense. They got a lot of people who signed up to be texted first, um, probably helped their online efforts. But the other thing they did in this process, or Joe Biden did, is lift up all of these women and their profiles. I mean, some of them took some negative incoming, like Karen Bass and some of those stories that came out, but she became a focus. 
you know, and and so did Val Demings. Nobody would know who Val Demings is, <laughs> minus her being on the impeachment panel. Um, and you know, suddenly their profiles and their political status maybe went up a notch. Gretchen Whitmer, you know, what what her you know, future is. I think it fits the moment um, in a way that. Joe Biden may not have even realized at the point he made the promise to put a woman on the ticket. Obviously, since President Trump's election, women have been driving American politics on the Democratic side. They have been running for office. They have been marching in the streets. Uh, We've really seen a jump in activism on the part of of women and now uh, particularly of women of color. Uh, in the aftermath of the George Floyd murder. Um, so in this this pick, it seems to me, is a, you know, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. I'm not saying it definitely will, but it does seem to kind of kind of fit the moment. And and Josh was saying that Republicans just to, to disagree with one thing that Josh, who always knows more than I do about everything political, um, I don't think we need to worry about what the Trump campaign is going to say about Kamala Harris, because I think people don't vote on the basis of running mates by and large. They're really on the margins. I think the Trump campaign will continue to focus uh, almost 100% on Joe Biden and what they see as his vulnerabilities. Uh, you know, what the role of Kamala Harris, I think, is going to be to try to energize some Democratic voter groups and survive that big debate. Those debates loom in a, in a coronavirus age when we don't see the candidates out there campaigning. Boy, those debates are going to be important. Yeah, Leslie, you know, we were talking about where Harris stands. The New York Times, in their write-up of this choice, describes Harris as a pragmatic moderate. Now, I don't know. Listen, (laughs) she was for Medicare for All. She was for the Green New Deal. I mean, her stance in the election when she ran for president was definitely not Joe Biden or Amy Klobuchar. I mean, she, at times, was trying to be Elizabeth Warren. And... I don't know whether that pragmatic moderate says more about the New York Times characterization or it says more about where she really is. Do we know, you know, the characterization of her, where she stands? You know, certainly, uh, like I said, when she was attorney general here in California, um, she'd vote one way on capital punishment and then another. And, And a lot of times people would, you know, question, you know, which side is this woman on? Is she, in fact, the progressive that she claims to be? For me... Um, it, it, it made me cringe when she was the only one at the beginning of the campaigning that went out there and said, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to get rid of private insurance, you know, affect millions of people, myself and my kids included. Um, you know, and I, I, I thought, what are you doing? Uh, you know, and who are you? I think to find out really who Senator Harris is, is you need to look at her voting record because, you know, politicians can talk. But to me, the, the money is where they vote and how they vote. Um, you know, Susan Collins from Maine may lose her seat because she's a perfect example of that. Spoke one way, voted another. So we have to look at what Senator Harris has done and also what she could bring to this ticket and to the party and to this position. Because vice president is very different than Senate. And certainly um, I, I would agree that the vice presidency is very different. And running on the ticket as the co-pilot number two is very different uh, than, than running for the presidency um, itself. I, I don't think that's going to end up being a problem. Look, Brett, there are going to be some progressives that are not going to vote for Joe Biden, no matter who his running mate is. Um, maybe if it was Elizabeth Warren, it would bring some others to the table. But I honestly think that 
if anything, Joe Biden has, in a sense, further united the Democratic Party with this. You saw today every single woman that was on that shortlist for VP congratulating Kamala Harris as women should, holding each other yeah. up and supporting each other in a time of victory. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is, Josh, the the Trump campaign and already Republicans on Capitol Hill saying that um, she's you know pro-abortion, anti-gun, big tax, Green New Deal, no fracking agenda. And you heard the president start touting some of that from the White House briefing room. Well, I think it's a sign also of how far to the left the Democratic Party has gotten in, in recent years. I mean, the notion that Democrats would nominate uh, a Bay Area liberal <laughs> to the national ticket, you know, 20 years ago would have been unthinkable. And now we're barely batting an eyebrow over that. And and Brett, like you mentioned, I mean, she's well, I think she's well to the left of, of the average Democrat. She has one of the most liberal voting records in the Senate, but she may be to the center of Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and some of these new and younger progressives that are getting elected to congressional seats. So the, the party has moved very well to the left in the last, uh, you know, eight, eight, 10 years or so. So Harris's liberalism suddenly being a Bay Area liberal now, you know, connotates working for Google and working for Apple and, you know, not necessarily the kind of left wing extremism that it once did. All right. So Canada Casino on the VP is over. And you're right, Leslie, you did have the most bets (laughs) on Kamala Harris. So I'm going to have to figure out some prize uh, to give you. Um, and, as long as it has alcohol, Brett. As long okay. as it- <laughs> done, done deal. Uh, does the race solidify in this launch, Susan? Last thing, uh, as these conventions are kind of, you know, virtual, and they're going to be much different, but they're going to be still time and prime time of all the cable and and networks uh, for these speeches. First, the Democrats, then the Republicans. Does this change the launch cycle for people paying attention to this election? I'm not sure. I think it does. I think it's going to these conventions are going to be hard pressed to get big audiences to make them interesting. Uh, You know, conventions already were having some problems when it came to holding the attention of Americans before. I think the the two things could really shake up this race. One, something surprising happened that we can't even envision now or, or contemplate like like a, as the COVID-19 has redefined it so far. The other thing are the debates, the presidential debates, the first presidential debate, that has the possibility to shake things up if one candidate or the other does really well or really poorly. And beyond that, I think it is just hard. I think other it's hard to shake the trajectory of this race with anything other than those two things. All right, panel, thanks so much. Here's a bit of campaign trivia. August 28, 1968, the Democratic Convention was held in Chicago. During a year of great political turbulence and civil unrest coming on the heels of the assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert Kennedy, along with widespread protests over the Vietnam War, it was on this day at the convention that a televised debate took place to decide if the Democratic platform would include intentions for peace or continued war efforts in Vietnam. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Josh and Susan and Leslie, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.